one of the things that I talk about in releasing this resentment Mm -hmm. is to don't give your partner the opportunity to hurt you in ways that you can't live without. Welcome to Married 2.0. I'm your host, Amy Sanders. I'm a fitness and wellness pro, mom, stepmom, second wife, and master certified life coach. I'm here to help you manage your emotions, your relationships, and life so you can live a healthier, happier life. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Amy Sanders here. And today we are going to take our discussion in a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit different in the fact that I have a lot of questions for our pro that's here with us today. Her name is Sherry Timko. And she has been a relationship coach for the last two years, but she's been in the world of couple psychotherapy for over 20. So she has been doing this day in and day out for so long. And she really helps couples break that chain or claim that close connection that all of us want that sometimes we just feel is unachievable as well as like breaking down resentment and all this other like good stuff. So If you feel even just a teeny tiny little bit of resentment towards your partner, this is for you. And if you're like, well, I don't even have partner anymore. And you're holding on to all this other resentment from maybe a past relationship. This is also for you. I feel like this is going to be applicable to everyone. So welcome. Welcome, Sherry. I'm so happy to have you here. And could you start by telling us just a little bit about your path to this awesome niche that you coach in? Well, thank you so much for having me. I actually started working with teenagers and it was another area. I loved working with teenagers. They're so exciting to work with because they're so hopeful. But what I found is that most of the work that I did with them was really them living within rules that they didn't have any control over and in, in helping them wait. So that was a little frustrating for me and for them, I imagine. So I moved from there to working with with their parents as well. So I did a lot of family work and I I was just amazed that we could fix things, not just for that child, but for all the kids in the family. So that felt really amazing. But then I, I started working with couples and realized that I could impact the kids without even having them in the room. And I was like, Oh, this is like my sweet spot. This is me. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So with couples and you've been doing this for a long time now, shifted to coaching a couple years ago, what are some of the familiar things you tend to see like over and over and over? You're like, man, if they could just figure this out, if I could just, like <laughs> get on the mountain and scream to all these couples, what is it that gets in, us in our own way when it comes to relationships? Yeah, um, there's a couple things that I see a lot of. Most people come to me because they're having trouble working through problems or they're having trouble with communication or they had a relationship crisis and then they're trying to figure out what to do about that, whether to, to fix the problems in the relationship or even to leave that relationship. Those are the, the primary things that couples complain about the most when they come to me. Of course, there's all sorts of other things that are going on. Very often there's the problems that they're having are related to working through parenting issues or financial issues or 
even how to treat each other. Um, But those are kind of like that second level of why people are struggling. Yeah. So when it comes to like this resentment piece that we want to get into, can you dive into that? Okay. So, oh, I have very, very bad news. I'm so sad to say this. Every couple, they're going to hurt each other. (laughs) Right. It's, we get married and we have these like really great ideas about how it's going to go and they're our best hopes. And then our partner lets us down Mm -hmm. where they don't show up at the right time or they handle something poorly. And we're like, Oh, what, what happened here? Okay. So this is inevitable. Every couple has times when they, they hurt each other. Mm -hmm. So they have to have ways of cleaning that stuff out that hurt the disappointment, the frustration, when that's not dealt with, that turns into resentment. Mm. So resentment and bitterness are toxic to feeling in love. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're feeling resentful, it's really because there's some hurt or some disappointment or some frustration that you haven't been able to work through. And so that just kind of settles into resentment. I like, I like that you put it that way. So before we hit record, we're like, are we going to talk about my relationship or not? (laughs) I've decided we are. (laughs) Okay. My husband might not be happy with me. I don't know. Yeah. So I even look, so Chris and I, we really hold our relationship. We look at it as sacred and that we have this beautiful relationship. And we also have really hard things that we deal with every single day. We have two exes uh, that are difficult we have my kids, we have his kids, there's parent alienation. There's like a lot of stuff that goes into our relationship. And so I was just telling Sherry before we hit record, I'm like, I feel like I've got some resentment going on in my, in my relationship. But I'm like, well, yeah, we've both been hurt and we do the best that we can. So I, I look at our marriage and I'm like, I, I think we're having, we're happily married, but we don't feel like we're having problems or we need to, when we do feel like we need to go see somebody we do, but overall it's, it's good. But that energy has been a little different lately. And I've been like, Hmm, what's going on. And so it's just interesting to think, okay, well, when there's been hurt, when there's been something that's gone on, it can build up if we don't clear it into resentment. Yeah. So the easiest way to to clear that, that hurt and disappointment and frustration is to find a solution to problems. Now, this is a little tricky because the research shows that two thirds of problems with couples are irreconcilable. They're not going to solve that problem. Okay. Which is also so interesting because we're just picking my relationship apart right now. (laughs) Looking at my relationship, um, if that's two thirds, so two thirds, we're not going to figure it out. That actually feels good just to know that, guess what? We're not going to figure it out and that's okay. We don't always have to see eye to eye, but I know that Chris likes to figure things out. Like he's like, okay, what's next? Like, how, how are we going to do this? And that it's almost like too pressure for me. I was like, oh my gosh, we're, I don't think we will. I don't think we can see eye to eye. And I'm not saying that this is, you see it this way. I, I see it this way. This is not, it doesn't need to be a problem. We can just say that this is, we see it differently and you can do more than that. Yeah. Okay. Tell us so, more. Tell me more. So a very simplistic example of mm-hmm. something that can't be solved 
mm -hmm. is if one of you is a morning person and the other person is a night person, mm -hmm. like you're not going to shift those, but you still have to figure out how you can live well together with those tendencies. So you still have to figure out what are the rules if one of you is asleep and the other is awake, or what happens when one of you, one of you doesn't sleep soundly. So the rules around that, how are you going to um, fit sex in? Most couples fit that in when they're in, in bed together. So if you're going to bed at different times, how do you do that? And yeah. how much do you each expect the other person to adapt somewhat to their tendency? So I tend to think of these as you're looking for temporary compromises. Mm. Okay. So the rules that you come up with, the agreements that you come up with before you have kids around morning person, night person are going to be different when you have kids. Right. And then they're going to be different when you have teenagers. So instead of thinking about a problem, like a one and done conversation, that means we're going to talk about it. We're going to find a solution. We're moving on. We never have to talk about that again. There aren't, there aren't that many of those. <laughs> Instead, no. you're looking for like, what are we going to do for this time period? What are we going to try that maybe is going to make this work better? And then wow. knowing we're going to have to talk about this again, because we have these differences of our personality. Yeah, it's a good solution to the not solution. <laughs> Irreconcilable. What, what's that word? I'm not even saying it correctly. Irreconcilable differences. Yes. Yes. But irreconcilable differences doesn't mean that it's going to tank your relationship. No. It means that you need to deal with those problems differently than a problem that can just be talked through, find a solution and move on. Yeah. What if there is, uh, so one person is coming from a place of love, there's not like the, like the negative, like defensive type behavior, but the other person does not want to talk about it. But this is an interesting thing because you're talking about two people who are in a relationship. And even if the other person is negative or they're defensive, that doesn't mean that they're not coming from a place of love. Mm. And when you get into that thinking of, well, I'm coming to this with generosity and mm -hmm. I really love you and you're not, then that already sets this up for an argument. Right. Yeah. Because if you ask them, they would say, but I do love you and I do want what's best for you. And I do want to work through yeah. this. They just have a different way of doing it. They have a different way to do it. So if that is, that's how people are showing up. How do you work them through that to where the person's like, no, but I have, I, you know, I have good energy and I'm feeling really good about this. And I just want to talk about this. And the other person's like, shows up differently, you know, where you feel like this, like whatever, I don't want to say positive person, but this person over here, say the woman or yeah. So let's say the woman comes and she's like, I just want to talk about this. And then the man seems edgy and like frustrated that he doesn't want to talk about this at all but I will because you want me to, but so he is coming from a place of love, but now the woman feels like he doesn't care because of his, how he's showing up. Do you know what I'm, I, I'm saying <laughs> I this because I've seen this a lot too. And I'm curious what you're, you're like, how to help you know, the woman through this. Like, guess what? It's okay. He's, he's okay. He still loves you. He's not going to be like bubbly every second. Like, do you know what I'm saying? So yes, speak to that. I do. I, there's so many um, 
underlying things in what you just described. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you married this person, you have to believe that they love you. Mm -hmm. And so you can't use their attitude in a single situation or a single set of situations Mm -hmm. to weigh whether they love you or not. So maybe they just don't want to talk about that. Maybe they don't want to get into an argument with you and they don't see a way to talk through that without it turning into an argument. When someone is conflict avoidant, they're actually trying to protect the relationship. Now you're like, but I want to fix this. I don't want to just live with this. But understanding that in their heart, they're doing something that they think is helping the relationship, even if it's not. Yeah. So good. And so interesting because it's just two different people yes. showing up differently to that specific, whatever it is they're trying to solve a situation. I also have this rule that if your partner responds to you with defensiveness, it means that they heard criticism. Now you may not have meant it to sound like criticism, Maybe you were very calm. You, you were talking about this in a very even neutral way, but if they are defensive, that means what they heard is criticism. So coming from this, like, what can I do standpoint, like back up, think about what you said. Did you present this in a way that sounds like you're blaming them? And then like tone that down. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't mean that you can't talk about things. That doesn't mean that you can't address issues, but at least questioning, did I put this in a way that they're hearing as criticism gives you more, more ability to change the way that conversation goes. Yeah. You and I have also talked about, there's a lot that one person can do for the relationship. If you feel like it's not working and you're like, well, it takes two. And you're like, well, there is a lot that just one person can do within the relationship to shift the relationship. Right. So that is an example. In the best of circumstances, I imagine two people sitting down and saying, okay, this isn't working well. How do we get this to work better? What are your ideas? Here are my ideas. Let's find something that we are both good with. Mm -hmm. But in reality, couples are very busy. They've got a lot going on. They try to squeeze these things into tiny little spaces where they're not relaxed They've got pressure from all sorts of other things, their jobs, their kids, and they try to squeeze it into these tiny little spaces. And so one of the things that's helpful to think about is that they often take a specialized role. So it might be one person's role that they typically bring up an issue, or they'll do the background work on an issue and then bring the options to the other person. Mm-hmm. Now that is not sitting down together and having a conversation where you work it out together. That's like this part's yours and this part's mine. I'm mm-hmm. going to bring my part and then we're going to talk through from there. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, there's a lot of things that a person can do to, to work on their relationship that makes sense. Like it's not bad that they aren't in lockstep every step of the way. You're supposed to be like doing other work that you then bring back to the relationship. Yeah. And through just my experience in coaching and everything, you have to be healthy yourself, like know how to love yourself, know how to meet your own needs versus expecting the other person to do all these things for you because 
there's that like codependency where you're like, well, they're supposed to make me happy. They're my partner. Have you heard that before? Yes, 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 absolutely. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I talk about in releasing this resentment Mm -hmm. is to don't give your partner the opportunity to hurt you in ways that, that you can't live without. Now, I would love my husband to always be the one to tell me, thank you, and I'm doing a good job. That's something that's really important to me. But I also know that he grew up and nobody ever said that. Like there was just this understanding that you do your work. And and so it's just not something that comes naturally to him. Now, without letting him completely off the hook, I know that I'm better off if I have other voices around me that will tell me, hey, that was a good job. Or look at the effort that you put in there. That was really worth it. Because if I just rely on him for that, I'm going to be constantly disappointed. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have a good relationship, but I don't want to set him up for failure when there's other ways of also getting that need met. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure on him too, to be this one person that's supposed to say all the things, all the right times, et cetera. It can be a lot. So releasing that. And what do you have to say about just someone learning how to also meet their own needs. So you have other people that can say it to you too, like, okay, yeah, they told me I did a good job. You know, I have this like group of people that also are feeding that part of my soul that I love and want to hear about individually. Like, how do you do it yourself? Right. So with that example, when I'm at my best, I don't always do this, but when I really need it, I will keep track of my wins for that week. It helps me to actually write them down and be able to get to the end of the week and be like, look at all the things I did. Look at all the things that went great. And so there are a lot of things that we can do just in ourselves. It's helpful if I turn down that voice in my head that's really critical and judging me all the time. And I also acknowledge the things that I did well. So even when I don't take the time to write it down, I still have to like monitor my thoughts and not just let them run rampant and get into that negative, that negative thought pattern. Yeah. Which we're always going to have a million thoughts. We talk a lot about thought work on this podcast. They're going to come. So we get to decide how we want to respond to them. A lot of times we just take them in as truth, but they're not truth. The majority of the time they're actually lies. So you have to step back like that little bit of time where like, okay, is this actually true? Usually it's not. And then see how else you can look at something. Well, what can, what can I do here? What does serve me here? How can I show up for myself and also in this relationship? So what is something else along these lines that you see like common that you're like, Hey, this is like, if, if the couples would just do these things, they would be so much happier. I'll tell you, this has been on my mind a lot lately because I've seen a few couples that are doing this. So I'll, I'll just share this with your audience. You can use any good tool that will help build your relationship and you can weaponize it. And so what I've seen people mm. do is use, I feel statements as yeah. a weapon. So if you've been in therapy, if you've been with a relationship coach, if you've read any books, if you've even just listened to a podcast, you probably heard this advice to use I feel statements. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Hundred so, percent. What I hear people doing is say, "I feel that you're a jerk." Oh gosh. <laughs> and what they do is they share a thought. They don't I feel share that you're a jerk. That's gonna go over very well. Right. Right. <laughs> um, now that's a simplistic answer. Lots of times people are a little bit more sophisticated than that, and they say something like. I feel that when you don't change the baby's diaper, you're not being a good parent. Okay. Also a thought. Also a thought. <laughs> okay. So the way this tool is supposed to be used is I feel is followed by a feeling. And then you talk about your own perception. You're talking about your own experience. You're actually not even talking about the other person. Okay. So I feel disappointed when I see the counter full of dishes and they're not washed. Mm -hmm. I feel sad when we don't spend much time together and I feel, you know, I feel disconnected when that happens. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> oh, it just makes me laugh though. Cause it's like, I feel, and then attack let's attack and point fingers at you. Right. So when I talk about like taking that moment and questioning what you said, and did that actually come across as criticism? A lot of times people think that they're saying something that is not critical, mm -hmm. but if you heard it said to you, you probably wouldn't feel that good about hearing it. <laughs> Another good tip. You probably, I like, I like the way you said that just very calm and collective. Like you probably wouldn't want to hear that said to you. <laughs> no, I feel that you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel. No, it's funny. Okay. Well, and, yeah. and people will be very cautious and like, think it through so that you can tell they're trying to say the right thing. Yeah. And then they'll use this tool. And I'm like, no, no, not how to use it. <laughs> I feel followed by an emotion of your perception of what's going on to create the opportunity for a discussion around it without attacking or blaming. Right. So if you're talking about the dishes, we'll just use that because it's very simple and straightforward. Yeah. If you can talk about it neutrally, you have much better opportunities to work through that. Okay. So the dishes have been on the counter for three days. I'm uncomfortable because, you know, gnats are starting to come in. I want to figure out how we can get that done. Yeah. That's different than you haven't done the dishes in three days. And now we have a pest problem that's on you. Yeah. Okay. Very different feeling. Yes. Now, then there's that question of accountability. I think, and this is really hard to, to get to, I think you can't hold another person accountable. They can only hold themselves accountable. I so agree. There can be consequences for them not doing what they've agreed to. But when you put it as I'm going to hold you accountable, then there's that immediate shutdown. And so a lot of times, if you can say, this is what the problem is, you can even say, this is what we had agreed to the last time we talked about this, mm -hmm. then it allows them to take that responsibility and say, oh yeah, I didn't get to that versus you saying you didn't get to that. And then they just shut down and won't talk about it. Mm -hmm. 
So a lot of times when people won't talk about something, it's because they're afraid that they're, they're just going to get thrown under the bus or it's all going to be piled on them. And so then they're saying, but this isn't productive. Then I get defensive. I don't want to talk about it. We have an argument and it blows up. Yeah. I just also have the thought of giving your partner grace. Like if the dishes are so important to you, then, and you, and you can have the agreement and yet keep the agreement. I agree with that. But, but if there's certain things that are just so important to you, but you're expecting your partner to do them, I'm thinking in my head <laughs> about my own life and my husband doesn't love to make the bed. Like he could care less if it's made ever, he's really fine for it to never be made. And so early on in our marriage, I used to get really frustrated when I would you know, I get out of bed earlier than him. We are the couple where I am more of an early bird and he is a night owl. And that is how it's going to be. That's how it's been. That's just how we're wired and that's okay. So we have figured out like what works for our relationship that way, but he gets out of bed after me. He doesn't even think to make the bed. It's not important to him. And so I have been like, can you make the bed when you get out? Or can you let me know? And I'll come help you. You know, I've looked for like things, but at the end of the day, I had to step back and be like, he really doesn't care if it's made and I do. And so probably can I make can't it? see it. He probably yeah. also can't see that it's not made. Now, I love yeah. this strategy. This is a great strategy. Mm-hmm. If you do the things that matter the most to you, then you're going to make sure the things that you care about are done and are done the way you want them done. Mm-hmm. The only problem with that is if you have a partner where one of them has a lot of things that they care about and their partner is like super easygoing and they're like, "Hmm, well, whatever. Right. Yeah. So there has to be also some sort of a balancing of what is reasonable in in the relationship. Absolutely. Otherwise it can definitely be like out of balance and one partner's like has the majority of the load or et cetera, for sure. But that was like one thing that I'm like, Hey, I can't get upset at him if he could care less about this bed and even seeing it, you know, like it's just not ever going to be on his radar to get out of bed, turn around and make it. He will help me make it. If he sees me making it, he comes and pitches in and it's fine. But we right. do have other, like other situations where, okay, I handle this, you handle that. Right. And then we have the conversation. Yeah. So anyway, I like everything you say. I'm just like thinking about my own life. I'm like, how is this? How are we doing here? How are we doing there? What are we doing that we could do better? I love this. I love it so much. Okay. So we have been going for a little while now and you've already given like tons of awesome little nuggets of wisdom. Do you have anything else that you'd want to share? She's nodding. Yes. Oh yeah. (laughs) I have five hours worth of sharing. What are you talking about? (laughs) Really? Uh, Yes. Okay. One of the ways of letting go of resentment Mm-hmm. is to practice gratitude and appreciation. Mm, yes. One of the problems with relationship issues is that we get hyper-focused on the problem. Yeah. Like I need to solve this. I need to fix it. I need to get to it. Like, so we just spend a lot of mental energy on that. We forget about the rest of the relationship. We forget that that is a piece of the relationship. So if the problems represent 10% of your relationship and 90% of your relationship is really good, then focusing on that 10%, like it is, it's misrepresenting what's happening there. 
So yeah. when you focus on the gratitude and appreciation and you really try to recognize the things that are going well, it doesn't wipe away the problems as though they don't exist, but it lets the good and the bad sit next to each other yeah. so that you can keep those problems in perspective. Ooh, so good. If they're sitting next to each other too, and you're like, I've got 90% going on over here. Why am I so focused in on this 10? It really helps bring that perspective in to what really matters really. And there can be problems in that 10% that absolutely have to be solved. Mm -hmm. But when you start thinking about them as 10% or 20% or 25%, even 25%, you still get 75% of that relationship that is what you want it to be. So like that 25% matters, but it's not the whole picture. So keeping that in perspective. Yeah. I love that because it again, comes back to our thoughts. I tell my audience all the time, like your relationships are as good as your thoughts about them. Like. Mm -hmm. If you consistently have certain thoughts that are not serving the relationship and that's like where your focus is, there's going to become that gap and there's, you're not going to have a really great, strong relationship. And that goes for any relationship. It doesn't matter if it's your partner or your kid or a friend or a neighbor, it doesn't matter. Like, how are you thinking and how do you want to be thinking? It might be that, yeah, that relationship doesn't serve you and that's okay. But the people around you, how are you treating them and how are you thinking about our relationship? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those thoughts are so powerful. <laughs> Isn't it kind of funny though, when you step back, you're like, we get in our own way by the like the lies that we're telling ourselves in our head, they usually just like you can just look at it from a different perspective and it changes everything. It does. It does. I think about it like there's a box sitting here and you're looking at it from one direction. And if you take a half a step to the other side, like it can look completely different. It can look completely different. And also just seeing like how your partner, like coming from a place of love and understanding like how they might be seeing it and giving them grace that way too. Like, well, yeah, they are never, everyone's going to see out of a different lens. We all have different views, different thoughts, different experiences. When you watch a movie and like certain things that pop out to somebody are going to be different than somebody else. And they watch the same movie next to each other. You know, we're all seeing it differently. Yeah. So anyway, oh, I love this so much. Okay. One last little nugget of wisdom that you can leave with us. I know I like just grabbed one and now I'm asking for one more, but this is good. <laughs> This is good. I want more. Okay. Forgive your partner for not being perfect. Perfect. That's a great one. <laughs> Forgive your partner for not being perfect. Cause guess what? They are never going to be perfect. And also neither are you. Right. <laughs> None of us are. We're all just here having our own experiences and doing the best that we can doing the best that we can. So good. Okay. So I do have Sherry's um, information in the show notes, but Sherry, you also have a freebie that you're giving us. Can you tell us more about that? I do. If you sign up for my freebies on my website, you get a relationship guide that helps you look at the different parts of your relationship and pull out the ones that aren't working well. But the other one that I think, and you get all of this just with one sign up. The other one that you get is how to add joy to your everyday life. And this is about those thoughts and the things that you can do for yourself that are going to make your life feel better. And so I came up with a list of over a hundred things that you can 
pick from to drop some joy into your life so that your everyday life feels better. And they're not complicated things. There are things like, this is one of my favorites. I'll, I'll just share. Like there are things like, I love fluffy socks. I love that feeling of brand new socks where they're like, mm-hmm. yeah. they feel good on your feet. Right. Like there are things like that. There are things that you can do in the midst of your busyness. and add those moments of joy and then like be happy with them. Yeah. Recognize and be happy. Such, such a good freebie. Everyone wants that list, right? (laughs) Everyone needs that list. Things that you can do just tiny little things for me, like comfy pajamas, pajamas. Yes. Right. Just comfy pajamas that I can get into anytime I want. My favorite tea, you know, drinking something that I really enjoy drinking while I'm doing all the other things. When you're doing that though, you also are giving yourself love. You're respecting yourself. You're doing the little things that are going to make you feel like you're worthy and valuable to you. Right. So, right. And it's very individualized. Mm -hmm. Um, But these, there are so many little things that you can do that you have control over that can make your, the experience of your life better that, you know, we should be doing those things. Yeah. So good. A lot of times we tell ourselves, no, that we can't have the thing when we can absolutely have or do the thing. It's just us in our own heads again. So, so good. Okay. So guys, she's going to have that in the show notes, or I'm going to have that in show notes so you can contact her. And again, Sherry, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. I really appreciate your time and all of your knowledge you've shared with us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Hey, who is your life coach? If you don't have one, I'd be honored to be your coach. I've created a virtual coaching program called Thrive Club that I'd like to invite you to join. We address challenges, we work on goals, and ultimately we thrive together. There's group coaching, individual coaching, and hundreds of hours of courses and content that I've created just for you. If you're ready to take your life to the next level, then come check out Thrive Club at luckysanders.com forward slash membership.